I'm Audra. And I'm Sadie. And we are former English Lit majors and sisters who miss reading and discussing literature with fellow Lit nerds. And we created this podcast to discuss literature fueled by libations. So pick your poison and join us each week to discuss all the queries and views unearthed in great books. And support your local bookstore. Welcome, everybody, to our first episode of Lit and Libations in 2022. Happy New Year. Very exciting. Yes. Hope you all had lovely holidays. I know the holidays can be just amazing and fun and beautiful, and they can also be really challenging and hard, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so hope you all were able to find some peace and, and have good holidays and hopefully 2022 moves us in some good directions hopefully um yeah did lots of reflecting today with january 6th and thinking about where we were last year so i hope that we move forward in a positive direction and hope that you guys enjoy our episodes this year we've had so much fun last year doing it and we're excited um to see what comes up this year we're really going to put a lot of effort into it and hope you guys enjoy so Again, if you have suggestions for us, if you have, you know, any ideas, we'd love to hear from you. We actually heard from someone with a suggestion on a book, so we'll tell you about that Mm -hmm. in a little bit, but Mm -hmm. just really appreciate all of you guys listening, and we're really excited about 2022 for Lit and Libations. Yes, and in that vein, drumroll please. Hopefully that Maybe I should ask Kendrick to put in a drum roll. I don't know. I just drummed my fingers on the table for a minute. <laughs> just pretend you heard a drum pretend roll. Pretend you heard it. Um, we want to admit, uh, announce our winner for our very first giveaway, which we're so excited about. So thank you to everybody who participated. I know that iTunes and Apple Podcasts can be really funky sometimes with um, how soon a review will show up. Uh, mm-hmm. So I know that some of you were having issues with that. So we just decided to waive that part of the participation and the winner for our very first giveaway is handle on instagram at jake underscore purple so congratulations you win a 50 dollars gift card to bookshop.org so you can just buy anything to your heart's desire we hope that you maybe buy some of the books we read but it's okay if you don't just get whatever you want just get books um so we will message you directly letting you know um uh, as well as posting it on Instagram, and then we will get in touch with you directly to get you your gift certificate. So yes, thank you for participating. Congratulations. We'll probably do another one closer to the summer as well. So, yeah. so um, keep keep your fun. eyes peeled. Yes. Um, okay. So some taking care of business stuff. Uh, so the next book that we will be discussing um, is called Sharks in the Time of Saviors. Uh, it's a novel by Koei Strong Washburn. I'm really excited about this. I've had this on a list of books I've wanted to read for a while. Um, so it won the Ped Hemingway Award for Debut Novel. A um, couple reviews that I read, one of them was from Tommy Orange, who, if you guys remember, he was the mm-hmm. author of the collection of short stories we read called There, There, and loved him. So I was excited to see that review, as well as um, there's an author. We haven't had him on the podcast, but his name is Marlon James, and he wrote this amazing book I loved um, called Black Leopard, Red Wolf. And it's really cool. You guys should totally pick it up. It talks a lot about, well, it's kind of this epic story, but it has a lot of uh, mythology um, from Africa and really, really cool. And he's got another book coming out this year as well. So maybe, 
I don't think we do it on the podcast because it's kind of a kind of have to read the first one too, but yeah. I recommend all of you guys go out and pick it up. So I thought had some great reviews, really interesting story. It seems like, um, and I love the idea of reading, um, this novel. He's the author was born and raised on the big Island of Hawaii. Um, so it, it seems really interesting. I'm excited for that. So that'll be two episodes that will be our next starting with our next episode. So what date is that? January will be released on Friday, January uh, 14th, 12th, I think 14th, 14th, if tomorrow, I don't know, next Friday. Yeah. I think if tomorrow is the seventh, I think it would be the 14th and then the 21st or something. 21st. Like yep. 14th and the 21st. So, um, but we'll post that obviously. Um, but go ahead and pick out a copy from your local bookstore. Or if you have to, I mean, bookshop.org gets things to you pretty quick. So they do a great job. Amazon. Honestly, yeah. I feel like they get here just as quick as Amazon. I don't, yeah, I don't really so. notice a difference. Um, and then also looking a, just a touch further ahead than usual, we, like Audra said, did get a suggestion or a request from one of our listeners. Shout out to our listener, Megan. She's the sweetest. Um, she suggested that we read a book called A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes, which is I, which I think is actually really cute and kind of full circle because it's another book that really leans into Greek mythology. And that's what we started out with in February yeah. of 2021. So I think that's kind of fun, full circle. We're kind of going back into the mythology as we come into our one year anniversary as a podcast. So great suggestion. And we can't wait to get into that. Um, and we'll make sure to make a post so you know where to get it. But it's a, it's pretty, um, it might be on paperback already. I think it came out in the last year or two. So should yeah. be a, a more recent kind of release. Should be good. Yeah, I'm excited. We've got some, I've got a whole list of, of things to read both individually and for the podcast. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get some good stuff for you guys this year for sure. Um, okay. Well, I think that's it as far as items to discuss goes. Yeah. I um, think housekeeping is done. I don't think so. Yeah. Well then on, on to the libation. What are you drinking this evening, Sadie? To start I'm, us off. I'm drinking a dram of whiskey. A dram of whiskey. Yeah. I like it. Just some just just some straight whiskey yeah what I'm kind having, of whiskey i'm having some scotch it's um tomatin scotch uh, it's very good we went there um brian and i went to scotland a few years ago and visited that distillery and picked up some whiskey and i've got my cute little dram um that we got from open distillery and it's delicious. It's really good. I'm I'm excited. I don't usually like just sip on whiskey like this. It's, it's all, like special occasions only. Yeah. But well, and fitting I, with our novel. I know. Really. I mean, I I didn't good. have any Irish whiskey, so I was like, mm, I guess Scotch yeah. will do. It prop. Yeah. If if in it, yeah, might as well just go with the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I made a hot toddy. Oh, nice. Uh, I've been cold, although it's been warmer lately than it has been, but I've been cold all day and that just sounded nice and soothing. So I made myself a hot toddy and that's what I'm drinking. I should have done that. I just realized that I have, (laughs) so like this last week we got um, a shipment of a bunch of stuff that we got from my grandparents when they passed away and Mm -hmm. in the garage, my like very religious non drinking grandfather for those who don't know everything about my grandfather um he had like randomly three or four bottles of liquor in his garage 
And were they like gifts or something to him and he just like kept them? That or he like confiscated them. Like I can't imagine mm. him confiscating yes. them. But um yeah, I told my parents though when they were like dividing stuff up when they passed away, I was like I want one of those. I think that's hilarious. And it's this cute little bottle of brandy. I totally should have made a hot toddy. And it's half empty, by the way. So someone had to drink it. And I actually asked my mom and she said that she thinks that one time he got really sick and someone convinced him to try a hot toddy. And he did. Mm, I don't know if that's what it's from, but I should have done that. That's brilliant thinking. Well, I didn't have any idea. Well, you can, well, well I, I don't kinda, know. I don't think it really fits with our next book, but maybe down the road. Save it for another special one. Save it for next winter. <laughs> or <laughs> next cozy winter read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Next, yeah, because our next book's set in Hawaii, so it's not really a, I don't know. I mean, you can drink whatever the hell you want, but it doesn't really <laughs> fit, seem. Fit with the vibe. Fit with the vibe. Yeah, I'm excited for some more, like, tropical yeah. drinks might yeah. make like a like a real pina colada or like Ooh. a mai tai i don't know i enjoy like that vein of drinks a me lot too. me too we'll have to get creative yeah. we'll actually yeah. have to get creative with our drinks next time <laughs> yeah i know we need to put more effort into our drinks this this time around and if anyone has any cocktail suggestions send those our way too yeah Although we'll make them so many i have so many damn cocktail books i should just open them and look at them but anyway um okay well let's let's get going so small things like these by claire keegan hope you guys were able to uh pick up a copy and read it it's definitely a quick read i mean is this classified as a novella i mean i would i mean a novella is like kind of touch and go as far as who decides what like I don't think that there's any like hard and fast rules to what classifies something as yeah, a novella. Yeah, it's it's a it's prose fiction whose length is shorter than that of most novels, but longer than most short stories. So I'd, I'd call this a novella. It's just over a hundred pages. Yeah, there's not like a specific like you don't. There's not an official. A novella is you know this set number of pages. Um, it says the U.S. based Writers of America defines the word count to be between 17,500 17, and 40,000 words. I so, feel like this has got to fit somewhere in there. Yeah. But anyway, good, uh, good quick read. Definitely affecting. Um, do you want to give us a little rundown? Maybe sure. just in case someone hasn't read it. And I mean, if you've paid attention, there's been a lot in the news lately, too, of you know, everything that's been going on in Ireland, this has kind of been coming up more and more, but yeah. So why don't you give us a little synopsis? Sure. So the book takes place in like 1985, I think. And our main character, that's the year I was born. Well, that is a great year. It was the year Brian was born as well. Oh, I didn't realize we were the same age. Yeah. He's December, 1985. Oh, so I'm older than him. Yeah, by a few months, and yet somehow 10 years older in maturity. <laughs> you think? Do you think I seem more mature than Brian? Oh, that's yeah. Funny. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. I'm going to uh, that in next time you see him. <laughs> anyway, um, so our main character is, his name is Furlong, and he's kind of this middle-aged Bill. man. And he, yes, um, he, 
I actually have a lot to say about this character. I think he's wonderful. But he's this father. He has a few children. And he kind of comes from a unique in Irish Catholic Ireland situation where his father is unknown. And he was lucky enough that his mother was taken in by this uh, wealthier, like well-to-do woman named Mrs. Wilson. And he was raised in that household with them. So he, he was kind of lucky in the sense that even though he is technically a bastard and he doesn't know who his father is, he was able to have a pretty good lifestyle growing up um, as, as far as safety and connection and... Um, specifically really yeah and like his mother was safe which is something that Mm -hmm. you know you realize as the book goes on could have been a completely different situation and um he's so he's older he has a steady job he's pretty successful he's like very generous takes care of the community a lot um he delivers Mm -hmm. coal and um firewood to homes and he has a few children Younger children and, and all girls, I think all girls, and yeah. a wife who he adores. Um, but they have some stresses in this in this book as well, and it's just kind of about him going through life and kind of he's kind of a depressed um, kind of guy. He just always is kind of thinking really deeply about his life and where he came from and um, how proud he is of his girls as a father, what's going to happen to them. Just He's a very thoughtful, introspective kind of guy. And this happens over a pretty short period of time. It's around Christmas time. And then one night as he is um, delivering coal and firewood, he goes to the convent where they run a laundry. And that is made up of comprised of women that the church have you know taken in and i say this in air quotes and he goes in there and he he notices i think for the first time in his own with his own eyes um that something's wrong with these places he goes in and he sees the girls scrubbing the floors and they are haggard and unkempt and um have clear like physical ailments and one and of th- one of them asks him to like help them like save y- them yeah well she says can't you at least open the door so i can leave and drown myself like they want to yeah. die a lot of these girls like they're clearly being like tortured and he's not really sure what to do um he wants to help but i think he he also kind of oh i'm gonna mind my own business in that moment And then, you know, he talks to his wife a little bit about it and she just kind of tells him, like, mind your own business. And he goes again another night and opens the coal padlock. This is like right before Christmas. And so he's doing this really, really early in the morning and he opens the coal shed, basically, for the convent. And inside is a young woman just left in the cold in the coal shed and he tries to help her and she's terrified and he takes her in and he brings her back to the convent doors and he comes in and meets with the mother superior and he basically kind of gets bribed to leave and to stay silent there's this kind of they're not really saying what they know they're trying yeah, to put back kind on of a unspoken show. threat yeah she's the mother superior is trying to like kind of 
go a little extra hard trying to say that trying to seem like she does care for these girls and that they're well treated Mm -hmm. um but it's pretty clear that it's just a show and that she's terrified and um he leaves again and he goes through the holidays feeling just this awful sense of guilt and complacency and frustration that the community and himself have like they know what's going on they've heard the rumors of what happens in these places and they are just shutting a blind eye because the church has its fingers in about every pot in town and is keeping a lot of the these places afloat these businesses because they pay on time and are reliable in that sense because they have the power of the church behind them and and then he um he decides to go back to the shed the coal shed at the convent later on and the book ends with him finding the girl once again in the coal shed and he decides to help her and he takes her home and it ends with him basically like at his front doorstep knowing that as soon as he walks through the door like all hell is going to kind of break loose um because he'd already spoken to his wife about these concerns and she wasn't very supportive and it's just kind of this um and then it ends there and I just this is such an interesting book because I feel like it could be so much more and yet it's just enough and like I think what it is trying to say and how it's trying to make the reader feel I don't know what did you think I loved it I I thought it was a great book and I think I think the top the just real quick like the the topic itself is really sad and yeah. um relevant I mean uh and hopefully do some research on it and I think it'd be cool I'm going to post on um, our Instagram some like additional reading if you're interested um kind of about you know these Magdalene laundries um I think it's it's good to know more about so I'll post some other things that you can read if you're interested but I I mean and the I think Ireland give a formal apology in 2013 yeah um, and there's some 50 million pound yeah 50 million pound like fund for survivors obviously nothing is ever enough but they're kind of starting to bring this to light I think kind of it all really came to light in like 93 or something all these graves were discovered um of babies and women and it just the whole thing's just sad and unfortunately they to everything I've researched at least the Catholic Church hasn't hasn't uh, really taken any accountability done anything they haven't even apologized really haven't apologized haven't haven't um contributed to any of the funds for victims um it's just a mess and i don't know but yeah the the story itself is just i thought it was really well done it made me um it kind of like the setting of it and the timing you know like we read this over christmas Mm -hmm. or i did like kind of over our little christmas break and it almost gave me this like Dickens kind yeah. of vibe, mm-hmm. um, which was interesting because I actually don't love Dickens that much. Yeah. Uh, but I loved this novel and I loved the vibe it gave and I loved how much more it just it felt more even though the main character was um, male. I thought it was such a lovely um, focus on like feminism and the power mm-hmm. of feminism as well. And like I don't know. I can't say enough good things about it. I really liked it. I loved how ambiguous the ending was. 
of not, you don't know what happens to Bill after he, he decides to rescue this girl and he's kind of putting everything on the line and, you know, in a very courageous way and you don't know what ends up happening. And I think that how ambiguous it is really brings even more light to the real worldness of the issue. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I agree. Like, like, cause this happens, this has been happening. It's, then there's so many different ways that, you know, people are affected by it. And so I like that the, the focus wasn't even so much on what happens afterwards. The focus really was on this courageous act and how important it is and how challenging it is. And like, I just, I thought it was really great. I loved, and I loved when he, how he connects it to his daughters. Like there's so much inner monologue in the book about what he wants for his family and his daughters and kind of so much self-reflection on his, his upbringing and his opportunities and what he wants to like contribute to the world. Like he really just wants, he wants good. Yeah. And, but he's not in like a, you know, pie in the sky kind of way, like just a real world good. Like what can I do? What can I do for my family so that they can do good? You know, just really, that just seems such a, he just seems so genuine with it. And, um, where was I going with that? I totally just lost my train of thought. Oh, I love how he's so, so focused on his daughters. Yeah. And so then he really, you can tell that's what the connection is. Like, like we were talking about with Dickens and like a Christmas Carol, you know, Scrooge makes this big change, but in the end the change is kind of just cause he doesn't want to be lonely and ostracized. I mean, I know there's more to it, but like there is still a little bit of like selfishness with his choice in my opinion. And yeah. Bill is like 100, like this is, it doesn't really affect him at all. Like he could right. not do anything and it wouldn't affect him. And in fact, it's likely to affect him in some negative ways by speaking out, by taking a stand, by helping this girl. But he does it cause it's not just about him. Like he really, I think yeah. is truly thinking about his children and their future and what their future can contribute in that domino effect. And I think that it's great to, it was just great to see that written out like that. I thought she did a really good job of it. I think so too. I think she did a great job of showing, well, like writing him as a character who I think shows such a, a beautiful level of empathy that other characters in the book, like aren't allowing themselves to feel, you know, like when he sees those girls in the laundry and he's talking to his wife about it, he he says, well, what if they were our girls? What if that was our girl? You know, what if that was our daughter? What what if that was, you know, the, the, like he makes it their stories personal to him to like mm-hmm. help him get to the yeah. point like we need to do something. And nobody else that he talks to is really able to do that. And of course, it's personal to him. He he could be. The thing is, is that I had to keep reminding myself that this book was set in 1985 because it seems like such a backwards, crazy situation Mm -hmm. that this is, I mean, the last laundry, Magdalene Laundry, closed in 1996. I know. Is that insane? It's insane. It's absolutely fucking insane. And it wasn't just prostitutes or women who you know know. it was it was people it was women who were just alone and vulnerable and poor and i mean homeless orphans unwed mothers you know people that were 
Yeah. And yes, there were people who were prostitutes, like, but it was regardless. It doesn't matter. It like, doesn't it's matter. Just, yeah. It's insane. And it's insane that it was, I know it's, it's just crazy that the last one closed in 96. Yeah. Like, and it, I had to keep reminding myself, this book takes place in 1985. Like this is mm-hmm. post the sexual revolution. This is still happening. Um, and it is a real fear. Like as a, as a man raising a kid in 1985, it is very likely that his daughters will go and have sex before they're married or, you know, like go explore Mm -hmm. the world. And it is also very possible that they could be in a situation where they are taken in or signed to these places that take advantage of them. And it's, and, and I mean, the places truly take advantage of them. And it's, it's so sad. Um, the woman that he finds in the coal shed, you know, she's literally leaking, breast milk she's had a baby that recently she says it's 14 weeks and she has no idea where her baby is and it's because these places were like auctioning these children off and adopt like (laughs) placing them up for adoption stealing these children and these women and taking and then using free labor from these women by saying that they take them in it's room and board they're taking care of them they're providing a service these women were incarcerated they were getting, it was slave labor. They weren't being paid for their work. And I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's horrifying. But the reality is. of the situation too, is that, you know, Bill thinks about this of like, what if that was my daughter? What if that was my mother? I could be a baby in a grave right now. Mm-hmm. If, if Mrs. Wilson, this woman hadn't taken them in and helped them and it's it's just like it was just bonkers reading this like this just doesn't feel like this could be the modern world but it was and it you know it still is I think this stuff still happens in other parts of the world for sure one thing that I I thought was interesting I mean the the fact that these institutions were you know these catholic institutions but you know there's I mean protestantism and catholicism in ireland i mean that's yeah that's the big thing right and i just thought it was interesting because mrs wilson is billed as a protestant widow yeah and so it's it's it seems like it's a small detail but it's not and it's just so interesting to look at all the betrayals of christian ideals Mm -hmm. and there's the really in your face ones with the with the catholic church and what's going on in real life and in the story but then also just how the rest of the town reacts too you know and Mm -hmm. like it's it's like no matter what faith you're in there they all kind of you just constantly see betrayals of it you know even Mm -hmm. in the people who encourage him to not say anything and who bring up the points of hey this is going to really affect you or who know what's going on like for a while in the beginning he kind of thinks if the priest, the priest must not know about it, like the village priest. Right. And then it realizes, of course he knows about it. Like it's all one, it's all one yeah. monster, yeah. so to speak. And it just has all of these different tentacles. And, and I like too, that he spent, it shows kind of his evolution of his thought. I mean, he, he doesn't just immediately, the second he discovers this, do something about it. He, he goes back and forth. He has like he thinks about himself and his family and how it could affect them negatively. And is that doing the right thing or the wrong thing? And so I really appreciated the, 
you know, seeing the evolution of his thought, because that's, that's how it is. I mean, we're, we think of ourselves, you know, right. even when we do, I mean, what's truly altruistic. Um, well, but, and, and when, I mean, we all, maybe not with our eyes quite like he did, but we're all like aware of atrocities going on mm-hmm. in the world, but we're not all at the front lines trying to, to fight these things. Right. And it, we don't have to be, there's other ways that people can help and, and, um, try to solve some of the world's problems. But I think it's a realistic, when you're, yeah. when you're like, he's shocked. He's confronted. Well, and he's confronted with it right in his face. I mean, if you see someone yeah. that's obviously in need of your help, like there, of course he had, he did what he had to do. Like, well, it's like, that's the only thing that could have happened. Well, and then also it's like, where are you supposed to go? Because you, when you live in a society where you are told that that is the safe space, that that is the shelter, that that's where you can seek mm-hmm. refuge, then what are you supposed to do when that's the very place that's committing the atrocity? Because his natural instinct, like we, we said, is when he finds her in the coal shed, he takes her back to the convent to Mother Superior. He thinks there must be something yeah. going on here and quickly realizes that they have been doing this and because he's a smart guy. And then you know, again, his natural instinct is I need to go to the priest. The priest will take care of this. This authority figure that yep. is supposed to help will take because care of it. Because this must be an anomaly, right? Like this yes. is this is some dark spot on an otherwise, you know, beautiful scene. Yeah. Instead of realizing, no, this is just the scene. Like this is the reality. This isn't this isn't an anomaly. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, again, I think this book was so affecting. I'm like, I think this is going to stay with me for a really long time, not just because of like how horrifying it is, but it was also, I think, um, I guess I would just say, I think that the timing of when she decided to set the novel is really pertinent. And the fact Mm -hmm. that it's 1985, it's modern era. It's not, I mean, these have been going on since the 18th, like 18th, 19th century. So like this is, yeah. has a very long history and she could have easily had play, have placed this any other time in history when the exact same things were happening. Um, but I might've made it easier to swallow, right? It's, yeah, it's almost it's easier removed. to swallow certain atrocities you, and you get to stand on a little bit of a pedestal, right? Of like, Oh, it was so backwards. Then people didn't know yeah. we're so much more evolved now, which we're not, we're not, <laughs> we're not. And, and it, you know, it, it just, reminds me sometimes like I think I think sometimes not that there isn't a ton of work to be done because we're every day closer and closer to kind of being back in this type of situation Mm -hmm. as far as uh female autonomy um specifically over their bodies but like this this is just such a good reminder of like this is this is my mom's time. My mom was having babies at this time. Like this could have been my mom. This could yeah. this this is very, very recent and we're not far removed from so many of the things that I think we try to pretend we're done with and are are, are over and are in the past, but we're not. They're not in the past. And you know, maybe there aren't Irish Magdalene laundries anymore, but that doesn't mean that these, that 
you know, these, this isn't happening. Yeah. That this isn't happening or that people in power aren't still trying to control or profit off of, um, women's issues and poverty and their bodies. And it still is happening. And the sad thing is too, is that I'm sure that a lot of people think or have thought in the past that they were doing a good thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think we don't get any of the nuns like perspectives exactly in this book, but I guarantee over the years that there were people who actively participated in it. I think that there are characters in this novel that know what's happening and choose to ignore it because they still think that that's better than the alternative. Oh, well, when I was like going, doing deep dives on this whole subject, like I was reading, um, let me see if I can pull it up again, but there was, um, so there was this report that got published. Um, so this person had actually visited one of these, um, asylums and got permission to buy a bishop, but the bishop said that the mother superior has to be able to like edit your fight, your report, like you can't just put it out. So of course it gave, it was not a very factual account. And then after he died, his son found it, I guess, and published the like factual account. And that's kind of what helped bring everything to, to light. And there were these two sisters who, two nuns who gave an interview, um, anonymously, and they described like the coverage of the of the abuse and stuff as this like one sided, like anti Catholic, like you don't know that's not the true, and said that they like were providing a service for the country and really just had no you know, every were being scapegoated basically, like just no accountability, no and not even like we were doing a good thing. So it wasn't even no accountability. It was just like there was nothing wrong. And right. it's just fast i mean horribly fascinating and i was thinking about like that part in the book i'm trying to find it but it's where they're kind of he the laundress gets the laundry gets brought up just really briefly when he's talking about like all these businesses and it brings up how i don't know everything is it was so well done and so quick like they were used all the time because man like these everything was just perfect like the clean as can be like no wrinkles ever like just what what a great job it was and it's just interesting because you know because they did such a good job with all of this free labor and Mm -hmm. the costs and everything like of course it was kind of people will turn a blind eye not only because of all the other reasons but because it's this business it's making money which also it's from a church (laughs) like i don't know just the whole I, do you remember, do you remember what part I'm talking about? Yes, like, I do. It's just a brief, but I think it's a really interesting description of it. Cause it's almost this looking back, this kind of subtle foreshadowing also, it's like, you know, everything's so clean and bright and shiny and well done. And what's underneath the surface that made that, you know, just a lot of this, like what things look like on the surface, even the, the setting of it with the snow and Christmas, like the, this kind of outside, yeah. Looking out, you know, looking in on this, it looks like such a nice setting. I picture this beautiful Irish town and the snow falling and he's looking at presents and getting his wife a pair of shoes and there's all this stuff happening and it's, you know, carols and all this. And then this atrocities, ha- like, I don't know, it's just a, it's such a nice juxtaposition. Right. Um, I thought it was interesting too when, um, 
you know, he visits the mother superior and after, you know, everything he witnessed and the, the contrast to, I think the, the wealth that he sees inside when he goes Mm. in to see mother superior and just like how clean everything is pristine and rich and you know they have they have abundance in this you know kind of public forward receiving space that the mother superior holds and then it's such an interesting contrast because it's it's such a lie you know and when she gives him that 50 pound note it's a lie and it's and it's almost like the town is supposed to be grateful you know, not just that they yep. are taking these women off the streets because they treat them as they're as if they're subhuman. Yeah. But because they're so generous and they just give so much to the community. And it and then and yeah, like I think that this book too is is so much about complacency and just what people are willing to accept for something like that. You know, like when he goes home and he talks to his wife Eileen about um what he saw and she you know he says that they brought he brought home that 50 pound note and her reaction is aren't they very good and she just she like believes that they're good and that um they should be should be grateful and she looks at how you know she brings up how great this will cover this expense you know and like i'll get that right like she's also thinking about hey we're running a he has a business and they're a customer and look how nice they pay on time. And they, it, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting how different things serve us. Right. And how you look at it and what you're willing to, to just accept because it's serving you versus not. And it's not that I think his wife's a bad person, you know, I mean, she's thinking she doesn't necessarily know because she's not really looking um, or wanting to look, but she's trying to take care of her daughters and make sure that they have everything they want and they need and that Bill's business is doing well. And, you know, she's, she probably would just be horrified at the idea that she could be contributing by not doing anything, you know, like, and she's trying to take care of her own. And unfortunately that's what happens a lot and everyone just takes care of their own. And then, and then people get left in the dust yeah, um, and it's just, it's an interesting, because I, I don't think she's a bad person, and you don't think Bill really thinks that either, but you yeah. can just, there's definitely this, um, I don't know if separation is the right word, but you see the gap, yeah. like, you see the gap between him, and I think you think a lot of it, I think the book makes it seem like a lot of that comes from Bill's, I mean, obviously he's a good person, but a lot of his self-reflection and analysis on himself and how he grew up and thinking about what that must have been like for his mother and like, you know, mm. thinking about Mrs. Wilson and thinking about what's the guy's name that you figure out his father, Ned, um, Ned, and just, you know, really reflecting on, on who they were as people and their situation and not categorizing them, mm-hmm. you know, and not mm-hmm. categorizing himself and seeing his own potential for growth. And I, I think he's a, yeah, a really admirable character like just a real quiet hero you know yeah well it makes you wonder like okay like what am I willing to because I think I think a lot of 
why people in this town, you know, or in other situations, why they don't do anything is because they're comfortable. And in a lot of ways, like the system breeds complacency. Like, what are you willing Mm -hmm. to kind of put up with? Because and we'll reward you for being comfortable and for putting up with stuff. And and ultimately, Bill, I think, just reaches a point where he's not willing to be comfortable anymore and he's not willing to be complacent and not willing to turn a blind eye. And he can't. And it's like the guilt that gets him. You know, he goes to mass and he he's not in it. He's not there in the same way that he used to be. And he can't be and feels guilty for being there and for for participating in a lot of ways really reminded me of did you ever watch spotlight yes yeah that was a great it's movie. fantastic and well there's yeah, this right. um as they're doing another tra- tragedy yeah another tragedy another catholic church <laughs> caused tragedy yeah um there's this um you know these characters at least several of them are catholic and um, are actively going to mass with their families or their parents or something. And um, one of them, as they continue to do more research and digging and, and great journalism, they, they reach a point, these characters do, where they can't do this anymore. They can't go to mass and act like, and like participate anymore in that, even though mm-hmm. they still identify as Catholic, still have feelings about it. Like the specifically I'm thinking about Rachel McAdams character. I'm so sorry. I cannot remember the name of the journalist that she portrays in that movie, but, um, she's gone to mass every Sunday with her mom. And, and then she reaches a point where she just, she can't do it anymore. And I think this book really made me think of like, okay, what are my like hard lines that I would give up something really um integral to who I am and how I've been raised in a a way like I have done that before yeah um when I left the church I was raised in but you know this is just kind of a different level like of what am I willing to like witness really and other things yeah. in my life yeah. that I just am comfortable with and what, like, what am I, what comforts am I willing to kind of give up, um, maybe in this new year, who knows, like in order for the world to be a little bit more just, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think this book is, is an important book. Cause it, I think it brings up how often we need to have reckonings with ourselves. Yeah. And it's more, it did for me, made me really think about what, what do I really need to be opening my eyes to more and willing to do more. Yeah. And, and it's, and yeah. And I like how it's so community driven too. It's not about Mm -hmm. how much, it's not necessarily about how much do I need to open my eyes to like the atrocities in the world, but more of like. It's, I think it's easy to look at things going on in other countries sometimes and to point a finger and say that's horrible and I don't support that and I'll do whatever I can to stop that. But it's harder yeah. to look more in depth at your own community, people you know, people you mm-hmm. trust, authority figures in your life, and then think about, okay, like really critically kind of look at that um, 
it's harder to do it when you know them and you care about them and um yeah and it's it'll affect you as well and i and i liked that about this book is that it's community driven and i think you know something that i'm passionate about um in my work is that really like if you want to make the biggest difference paying attention to your community is one way that you can have like a really drastic impact and it is kind of individual based if more individuals care and get involved like that creates a big impact in a community and I think that's something that you know this this situation this issue has come to light so much because I think people like Bill Furlong and this this character in this book started to pay attention and Mm -hmm. started to yeah to question their local authorities and um and that's i think how you know this the situation has been able to to be brought to so much light and at least have some sort of accountability even though the church hasn't taken any at least you know reparations are being made as much as they can be by the state um i'd love to see the u.s try to do something similar but Again, I think, unfortunately, it's almost a benefit that this horrific thing happened so recently in history. It's a lot easier to, I don't know, to try to fix something when it's, it's, you can see a more direct line to yeah. the current period. But Yeah, I agree. It was, it was great. It was a really... Um, a small but powerful book little mighty mouse of a book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. really liked it I did a too. lot it makes me want to read her other work i haven't read anything by her before yeah me either me too and and really i went down a deep dive on you know researching this horrible i don't know topic for lack of a better word and really encourage you guys to read more about it as well yeah. and learn more about it. So I'll definitely post some stuff up on the Instagram of some other good. I, there's been some movies made about things like this too. Um, but obviously we're going to recommend books. So, uh, <laughs> definitely some more good reading to do to, to educate yourself on it. And, um, it's just one of many things like that, unfortunately, like all the Indian schools and, yeah. uh, reeducation quote camps and mm-hmm. things like that. Like what's happened with the Uyghurs in China right now. So a lot of things for us to open our eyes to for yeah. sure. Yeah. Good, good choice. Good choice to start us off. Thank you. Like it was a good way to start the year. I agree. I th- for sure. that's what, you know, kind of, I don't know. It was a surprisingly, um, good book, I think for the new year. Cause again, I think it put me kind of in, maybe the right mindset of how I want to mm-hmm. go through the year of how I want to look at things and, um, look at myself and yeah, it's about something super sad, but I think that the good thing about this book is that, um, through the sadness again, like we get this kind of hero in the midst and mm-hmm. yeah, I, th- I think he's, you know, he's a simple guy and I think we're all pretty simple people and you can still have a really big impact. And I, I think even though we don't really see what happens, I, I like, I still felt like it was kind of a hopeful ending because at least something is maybe being done for at least one person. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. It was great. Um, so hope you guys, uh, read the book, enjoyed it. If you didn't, hopefully listening to our discussion 
will inspire you to go yeah. get a copy and read it because it's great. And while you're doing that, make sure you pick up our next book, um, Sharks in the Time of Saviors by Kawhi Strong Washburn. Um, I already started it. I'm already really liking it. I think it'll be a, a good good second book for 2022. Um, and then tell me, tell us again, Sadie, what the book we're going to be doing after that is. Um, it's A Thousand Ships by Natalie Haynes. Thank you. So again, thank you for the suggestion from, that was from Megan, right? Yeah. From our listener, Megan. Um, so thank you for that suggestion. If you guys have any other ideas for books that you'd like us to look into or cocktail ideas mm-hmm. for us, um, or just any feedback, uh, we'd appreciate it. Um, and that's about it. So I guess we will talk to you guys next time unless I'm missing anything, Sadie. No, I think we covered everything. All right. Well, really excited. That was a fun, fun episode. Glad to get back into it. So I know it feels good to be back. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We will talk to you next time. Bye.